I told my wife this morning, she told me to bring a notepad, and I go... You asked if you should bring a notepad. I didn't tell you that. You said, do I bring a computer or a notepad? You gave me a choice. I selected notepad. Oh, okay. Well, you could have said neither. You should take some notes. Uh, I, again, like I don't, I don't fucking, I'm not a note taker. Like, I don't fucking know. Why would you ask if Notes. you should bring a notepad if you didn't? Because I was trying to sound like part of the team, and you know what? Me just showing up is probably just the job that I do. Me just showing up is the job that I do. I understand that. Okay, I get it. Welcome to Take Me to Coffee. This is a mentorship podcast for the digital age, for the doers, the rule breakers, people who are building it from the ground up. From movie stars to blog writers to actors and activists, artivists, you might say, in this day and age, we have something to learn from everyone. So this is your weekly chance to get personal with people who've been down the road before you. And soak up a whole lot of inspiration from every corner of the internet. Like a sponge. Um, I have a question for you. A couple of episodes ago, before we were recording, you were like, I had a baby brunch. You know what a baby brunch is? And I told you to shut the fuck up and wait until we were recording. And then we never talked about it. Will you please? <laughs> what is a baby brunch? A baby brunch is where your friends have a bunch of babies around you. And I'm almost 40 years old. So everybody around me is having <laughs> kids or they have kids. And I haven't seen my friends who have babies. Oh, yeah. And my wife hasn't seen those kids who have babies in a while. So we like, we're like, baby brunch. Invite everybody over at like one, two o'clock in the afternoon, post their morning and afternoon naps, pre their after afternoon <laughs> nap and my afternoon nap. We, there's like a fine window in there where you can you can call it baby brunch. Ah. And I think it's between like 1230, whatever your nap yeah, time schedule yeah, is yeah. for your baby. I think we it lasted until maybe 3.30 or 4 when everybody was like, I'm losing my mind. And this was mostly the adults. But because uh, the like, babies can't speak. <laughs> Well, no, they can speak. There was one baby who couldn't speak, three months old. The other one was the two other years baby old. She's might like eighteen. Have said, she's like I'm losing months. my mind. And she didn't say it so much as she was. She's been sick for a little while. I'm not trying to like blow my friends up a little bit, but like it was fucking hysterical to <laughs> We're me. Not naming names. They don't listen to this podcast anyways because they're not my best friends for real. So the people that <laughs> listen to this are actually my best friends. You're my only friend. So back over here in the corner, like we have a kind of a circular area, like a living room style thing that we had set up and we we're all sitting around having cocktails, like everybody's chiva, chiva, chiva and watching the babies. All of a sudden, the, the littlest one who's walking around 18 months old, she, she goes, she's just like, it's kind of quiet. And then all of a sudden you smell this just absolutely <gasps> got up and she'd been sick and they were like, okay, this might happen, blah, blah, blah. I, I turned to my friend and I was like, did you fart? Being like, wait, we're all close, but I don't know if we're that close to actually fart in front of each other. Right. I look over and I was like, oh, and then she just turns down to her little girl and her little girl's face is like, <laughs> blink, blink, blink. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, that is a pervasive smell. That is happening. Oh. It is happening. She grabs oh. her little girl's hands. They walk out. They check the diaper. I was like, oh, that's a situation. Take an extra towel, lay it down. This is what baby brunches yeah. turn into. The la- next thing I hear is, oh God. And then the shower <laughs> goes on and I was like, baby brunch is a success. We had a full fucking blowout. Full blowout, like poo up the back, oh, like on the elbows, yeah, like somebody was digging around in it. Early. It was fucking crazy. We lost the towel at one point. Oh, My wife, she smelled it and locked up. Just fucking went full deer in the headlights. She was on the couch and she goes, I'm not moving. I, I don't know what to do. There, there, oh, I don't God. know what to do right now. I don't know how to help. And I was the one, you know, I'm up around like moving, getting towels. Like, what what do we need? Does this towel need to go away or whatever? And then she was like, oh, no, no, just use the use the, use the the black one because we we're maybe going to get rid of those. And I was like, okay, great. Throw it down. Towel's gone. Just poo wrap towel. It was an unbelievable experience. She felt so much better afterwards. I was like, thank God, you little beautiful little baby girl. She was just like happy and bubbly afterwards. And then that's how you close out a baby brunch to circle this all yeah, the way back around. Yeah, you start yeah. here. You yeah. shit yourself. You lose a towel. 
You close out baby brunch. Listeners, are you ready for all of the bad smell stories you never asked us to tell at the beginning of this podcast that has to do with mentorship? Mm. None of it. Um, we've been talking a lot about farts lately. Like I know, it's true. Poop. Like It's been weird that we've been... It's very cyclical, the poo. It is. It is. It comes the poo. The pooversation. The pooversation. <laughs> um, if you're listening and you live in New York, I feel like you're going to really understand this story and feel in your heart, deepest of hearts for my plight yesterday. I had a really long, like I worked till 11 p.m. the night before. I got back up and had to go right back to doing something that was really time sensitive at 7 a.m. And I needed to be downtown by 11 at Rockefeller Center for something really cool and really important. So I'm like fucking drinking coffee and I'm trying to get this done. And I just barely get out of the house, maybe with enough time to get to this thing on time. And it's one of those things that I'm not showing up late for. Do you know what I mean? Like if I'm if I don't make it, I'm not going because I'm not walking in late, you know, Exactly. So I'm stressed as fuck. I'm exhausted. I'm feeling pretty alone and like under a lot of pressure. I'm like trying not to cry on the subway, to be perfectly honest with you, because it's just overwhelming. And I don't know if I'm going to make it to this thing. And this gal, catty corner to me on the subway, just takes out like, a big bottle of water and she starts to unscrew it. I live at the like end of the A line, basically. So we end up having a lot of homeless folks on the train coming back down because they're, you know, they're sleeping. It's cold outside. I'm glad they have somewhere warm. Like it doesn't, I usually just don't even clock it. But this gentleman, as I'm sitting there trying not to sob like a psycho on the, <laughs> on the subway, this gentleman walks to this woman to ask for her water because he's really thirsty which I clock happening. And then because I'm eating a granola bar also, I forgot to mention that I breathe in and it smelled. It was so horrific that then I gagged and I almost threw up on the subway. Like I had to, because I have a very, I, smells are not great for me. Like I, I have a pretty strong gag yeah, reflex. Yeah, yeah. Smells. So then I'm like half crying over a granola bar, trying not to barf and wondering if I'm going to make it to this thing on time. And I was like, this is like literally the definition of adding insult to injury right now. It was so gross. And then I didn't make it to the thing at all. You're so hungry and can't yeah, eat. Cause, right. Because can you? I can do fine if I can breathe through my mouth, but you can't eat a granola bar and breathe through your mouth you have to breathe through your nose so right so i couldn't even eat my granola bar i ended up lost in rockefeller center underneath i just couldn't even get out i had no idea where i was it was a lot <laughs> and you're not the type of person to ask for help uh, so no <laughs> <laughs> no no not at all That's, thousands of people yeah. around definitely did not ask for help so that was also my morning uh some a smell related uh yours is more fun i don't know when it comes to smells i don't know what's fun or if it's just disgusting or what's exactly That's happening fair. so ooh. here's my next question for yeah. you the problem with telling a lot of poop stories and smell stories is uh it's not real easy to transition into talking about our guest <laughs> But I think our guest would have appreciated all of these stories because she Do is... you? I'm not sure she would. <laughs> uh, well, listen, if I start making fart sounds, we had a conversation about a Foley artist. Oh, So again, yep. my raconteur nature is going oh, to God. segue us into <laughs> our genius guest this week, Andrea Prestonario. Prestonario! I'm so thrilled. I've known Andrea for about a... Uh, probably two years now got introduced to her by uh, the artist co-op shout out to the artist co-op an incredible yep, place yep, here yep, in new yep. york and uh, i told her the other day she's actually one of my like feminist icons 
She's an actress and a singer, uh, very successful, working all the time. And she's also Mm -hmm. an activist and the founder of Ring of Keys, which is a national network of queer women and TGNC artists working in musical theater, which is rad as fuck. I am fucking super excited for you guys to hear this episode because she's got a lot of cool shit coming up. She's super on the like cutting edge of the feminist movement. And she's also like on the cutting edge of queer and transgender women taking ownership and onus in theater. Having a seat, right? Having a seat at the table and making yeah. place for um, those who have been marginalized in the in the past and also in the musical theater canon who have not been able to see themselves in particular places in the theater, in a role, in a position of power or in something like that. And this has been a f- eye-opening conversation because we're in the business. And I have never thought of taking my mantle and my privilege as a middle-aged white man and offering that up for someone else. Yeah. There's no lines anymore. I know that we're, you, you have not seen yourself in that, that position before, but I'm telling you, you can do that. Yep. I'm, I'm saying that you are allowed to do whatever you want. You can be whoever you want, boy, girl, black, white, orange, brown, purple, uh, queer, transgender, like any, any number of things. You can do anything. And that's where this episode for me was really heart opening and eye opening mm. to the fact that um, there are so many opportunities out there and people don't look at the opportunities because they haven't been able to see themselves in those places. And so that's where I go, fuck, man, you're doing the you're doing the, you're doing the good work. I mean, keep fighting the good fight. One thing that we didn't talk about in the episode, but I happen to know about Andrea that I think is really inspiring is that like she does that in so many ways for other people. Like, of course she does it through ring of keys and running this organization and growing it and building it. But like she hosts postcard parties to senators about stuff. And she's an escort for an abortion clinic. Like she volunteers outside of her, you know, main thing that she is an activist around. So often she'll show up and speak on a panel with me. Like I've had her come and be a part of some of the activism artivist stuff that uh, I do. And she's, always there to stand up for people whose voices are not heard, whose existences are marginalized. And that, I think, is why I am often so inspired by Andrea. So it was a real, it was like an actual honor to get to interview her on this podcast. Yeah. And just, you know, talking to someone who is open and involved and seeing the world in a different from a different vantage totally different. point yeah. you know there's a need for that right she's incredible i laud her for her efforts and uh we can't wait to share this episode with you guys and hey if you want to support the work of ring of keys they're actually having their second anniversary concert down at joe's pub on february 16th it's called queering the canon we'll let andrea tell you more about it in the episode but it's super super fucking rad and uh we're gonna try to make it so you should too if you're in the area that's what i'm saying come check us out if you want to see us in person and you just don't want the voices listen we got faces too and we can shake your hand and we can you can tell us your story and tell us uh anything that you want then don't forget if you'd like to be a guest on the tm2c podcast head over to twitter and follow us at tm2c podcast to leave us a video ask for our upcoming guest or anybody that you think is interesting and cool and that we need to check out and talk to currently accepting all stories about bad smells and mm-hmm. how they affected your day <laughs> I, I feel like we could do like six months on that We could do six full months of podcasts on smells alone. Oh, gross. We hope you enjoy this episode of Take Me to Coffee with Andrea Prestenario. Prestenario. It's better when you can see the hand. (laughs) 
it like we're in the same room but not. Like you're like over yonder. This, you might as well be in like Antarctica. Right. I'm like a hundred yards from Andrea if you're listening, <laughs> our guest today. But we're not set up to record in person because that involves a significant investment in extra equipment and like engineering. And so we improvise. <laughs> you already have like quite the setup. Very impressed with Take Me to Coffee. You heard Are it we here, recording? folks. Recording? Yes. That is recorded for posterity. <laughs> Put okay, it in great. the, the okay. testimonial quotes. Yeah, exactly. Hey, I have a really important question to start us off. I have to take someone from out of town to happy hour in Hell's Kitchen tonight, and I can't make a decision. Where should we go? <laughs> the perpetual paradox. I know. Okay, I just walked past Westville. There's one in this area. Oh, yeah, they put I love that, that. And they have one in Hell's Kitchen. So what I about that? I do love Westville, and I forgot they put one on 9th Avenue. Yeah, it's up by Valhalla on 54th Street. That's excellent. I love Westville. It's also nest of Bar Bacon. I oh, also I love, love Bar Bacon. <laughs> Who doesn't love I know Jess bacon. loves Bar Bacon. She <laughs> loves it. We, we've had a couple of drunken nights in there. We've had a couple of drunken nights in there. I love that place. <laughs> Andrea, what have you been up to? Because the last time we tried wow. to talk to you, you were down in Florida doing a thing. Like, what What? What are you up to? Okay, so I just came from Naples, Florida, and I was doing a production of It's a Wonderful Life, the live radio play. And that ran down in Naples at Gulf Shore Playhouse for 10 weeks. And, well, I'm unemployed. That's what I'm doing at the moment. But I um, welcome, welcome to the party. <laughs> yep. <laughs> there is a lot happening for Ring of Keys, which I'm working on. This is what I'm interested in. Yeah, that's probably what you want me to dive into, huh? <laughs> no, no. Talk so, about everything. That's true. We do talk about everything. <laughs> so I'm interested in this radio play. Talk me through this. So were you at the mic and doing like the hold your ear, being like, ah, it's my old timey voice. I had to kind of thing. Yeah, kind of, except the okay. sans the timey voice. Oh, okay. It was five actors, and we all carried a portion of the responsibility of the foley, which is the, uh-huh. the sound effects. That's, God, that's so and, cool. But like my, I, my track, I played Mary. And then there was like another woman who played like 13 characters. Oh so God. essentially, I wound up doing a lot of the foley. And I think I, I won the most improved award for it because I was real <laughs> bad at it at the beginning. It was kind of like, I didn't know I was signing up for that when I auditioned. You know, you just go in and you mm-hmm. audition. Right. And you're like, Oh, right. You're ca- you're, you've been hired. Yeah. And you're going to be doing um, all of these Foley sounds. You're like, what? <laughs> How do I do that? Which actually was really fun, I have to say. And the, and the sound designer did show us sort of what to do. And the idea was like using found objects, right, to make the sounds. And the yeah. audience then sees the... The idea being the conceit is that we're in a radio studio and we're, mm-hmm. we're creating this for a radio audience, but you have the live audience, which is the IRL live audience, you know? And yeah, it was, it was really fun. It was a, a very tight ensemble piece. We really relied on one another a lot f- in order to live in that world. And it's, it's been a while since I've done a, an ensemble piece in that fashion. So it was really cool in that way. Okay, Andrea Presenario, for those listening who do not know who you are, like... Oh my God, what do you tell people when you say, this is who I am? <laughs> I am a performer, first off, activist, and the co-founder and executive director of Ring of Keys, which is a um, national network of queer women, trans, and gender nonconforming artists working on and off stage in musical theater. Insert the cheers of the crowd. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, that's what I was going to do. I love that. Aw, I'm going to keep you guys around. (laughs) You start your own personal sharing section. Anytime I'm feeling low. You're going to regret that. You're going to regret that eventually. (laughs) So quickly. (laughs) 
Um, I have a question. The the genesis of yeah. Ring of Keys. Can you kind of give us like a little bit of backstory about it? Because Absolutely. I know Jenny and Tesori, and I know you know I know most of the people who are in the Fun Home process because my wife cast a show on Broadway. Oh shit! He just used that moment as a humble brag. <laughs> I missed that. <laughs> well, no, no. I'm just saying, like from the beginning, like I I've been kind of part of that thing, and I love that you know you've used uh, Fun Home and Ring of Keys. I'm sorry, I don't want to brood this up for you. How did it start? You still you're learning. not? Oh, I was like seriously <laughs> listening. Like what? <laughs> Fun Home is part of the genesis. So I will back up further, though, and say that, I mean, how long do you want me to talk here? I could talk about Ring of Keys for like hours. That's exactly what we want. Go, go, you go. All right. I was doing um, a reading uh, of an opera, and I knew the music director. And prior to it starting, he mentioned to me, hey, Andrea, um, there's a woman in the cast that I want you to meet. She's a lesbian. And he whispered it. (laughs) In the corner. What? (laughs) Like, you know, I should, should, you know, he's this like really funny Arkansas man. And he was like, she's a lesbian. So he was referring to who I would, who would become my eventual co-founder of Ring of Keys. Her name is Royer Bacchus. I come to find out that Michael did the same thing to Royer. He said, "Uh, Royer, there's someone I want you to meet in this opera. She's a lesbian. And it was just like (laughs) hilarious because it's Michael because he's funny and he's an Arkansan gay man, you know, but we talked a lot about the implications of that, right? That like, why are we still something that gets whispered? Why are we still on the margins in an industry that is supposed to be so LGBTQ friendly and inclusive. And also, you know, I, we were both so excited to meet each other because at that point there were few queer women artists that I had met that were working in musical theater. Mm. I mean, I worked in Chicago for eight years before I met another lesbian actress or bisexual actress, you know, at least out or known, you know, until I worked with my now girlfriend. Uh. So she was the first other lesbian. And I was like, ah, (laughs) <laughs> for, for our listeners i just made a glom onto the claw a, a cat pounce, pounce some kind of a pounce that's the word yeah anyway so royer and i talked a lot about how that was funny and we were like we should start a club we should just like find our people and we got serious about it and decided to launch as this collective um we did reach out to um jenny tesori and lisa crone for their blessing to name our organization ring of keys cool i didn't know that yeah we launched as a collective at the time for queer women trans and gender non-conforming artists that was in january of 2018 and we started just kind of myself royer and our friend holly who built a very minimal uh, squarespace site Since then, we have grown to become this national arts advocacy organization, which promotes the hiring of self-identifying queer women, trans and gender nonconforming artists. And we have members in 40 cities across the country, as well as uh, members in Toronto, London. We just keep growing and growing. And it's really exciting. Cue crowd cheering again. <laughs> I feel like I say this a lot on this podcast, but I there is nothing like building something yourself. It is the scariest, like most harrowing, exciting experience. And so you must feel so proud of what you have achieved, like you said, only at what is probably the beginning of this organization. Yeah. You know, I reflect on that a lot. I should mention that since launching, Royer kind of took a step back and we had different visions of 
what it could look like. Roya was like, I thought this was just going to be a monthly potluck. And I was like, oh, no, I wanted to change the world. Sorry. And she said, <laughs> uh -oh. so we had different ideas of like how it would go forward. And she didn't have the time capacity to commit to yeah. it. And I wanted to. And so we sort of splintered in terms of our leadership and responsibilities, but it was an amicable, understood. Mm -hmm. She just kind of helps minimally. And I am working as the executive director, mm -hmm. you know, since the, the the launch, my hand has really been in every little tiny part. And we have an amazing team of like 10 or 11 people at this point. We have ambassadors in Minneapolis, St. Paul, in Chicago, in New York. There's just this feeling of like, oh my God, it just, I'm involved in every little bit, but it hasn't, it hasn't been just me, right? Like it's been mm -hmm. because of the work of all these people that want to, to get involved and help. But to jump upon what you just said, Jess, which is that feeling like, oh my God, I'm, I've seen the growth from the beginning because I've been at it from the beginning. And to think like I have this vision of all the things I want it to be. Mm -hmm. I am constantly, constantly shocked by the disparity between how hard it is to start something from scratch mm -hmm. and how easy it is for someone on the outside to criticize. The push of the button, like, why are you doing that? And it really has sort of opened uh -huh. my eyes to sort of every organization because we don't know the full story. We don't know what their five-year strategic plan is. We don't know oh. if this is mile 10 on their marathon run or, you know, if just the running in and of itself is like the feat, right? Like we just sit there and we, we're so easy to criticize, like, why are they doing that? Why are they not doing that? You know, right. not to say that I'm resistant to constructive feedback, because I think the feed, some of the feedback we have had in the last two years has really been so helpful and so um, conducive to our growth, but it's not to go to the negative so quickly in our like conversations, yeah. but okay. it is sort of me to, it is something for me that's been so illuminating. We have, actually have a question that I think is an excellent follow-up. So if you are listening, if you're new to Take Me to Coffee, this is a coffee date for our guests and Andrew and I, but it's also a coffee date for all of you guys that are listening. We collect questions from our listeners, the person's fans and constituents in your case, or like members. And we have a really good one that I think is an excellent follow-up on that. This is Andy from Manhattan. And my question is, what advice would you give to someone, especially like a performer or someone in the performing arts who wants to start their own nonprofit organization? What advice would you give them? Oof. Andy Roninson, Larson Award-winning musical theater composer on the line. Oh, <laughs> fancy. Thank you, Andy, for your question. It's a good question. I would say the advice is to just Use your resources and keep asking questions about what you don't know. Oh, great advice. I think that's just the only way to figure it out is to not be afraid to say you don't know or not have the answers. I'm still figuring it out. I look at Ring of Keys as just sort of, it's a problem solving vehicle. And me in the role of executive director is simply problem solving day to day, mm -hmm, figuring out mm -hmm. like, how do I do this? We aren't technically a, a, a nonprofit yet. We're currently fiscally sponsored. I'm working towards 501c3 status. I don't know how to do that. I'm figuring it out. Oh <laughs> Can you explain to our listeners what, what that is? Yeah. All those numbers and letters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A, they mean a big headache is what they mean. Yeah. <laughs> 501c3 status is the acronym for, I guess you could say, for nonprofit status. And that is a... Okay. 
Great. It's a filing process with the government, with the IRS, and it's like a six-month paper journey. And Ooh. if you want to get incorporated and you, you aren't at yet the, the step where you are wanting to deal with taxes, but you want to still solicit donations, you can you can apply to be fiscally sponsored. And that's sort of a baby step in my eyes to being nonprofit status. Yeah. It's like leasing a car instead of buying it. Yeah. Yeah. Fiscally <laughs> yeah. sponsored allows us to like solicit donations. So anyone who donates to Ring of Keys, their donation is tax deductible because our fiscal sponsor, which is Fractured Atlas, Fractured Atlas then covers sort of the, the messy tax stuff. That's like how I describe it to listeners, the messy tax stuff, because that's <laughs> how it, about what right. it means to me. Because if I was um, talking to a CPA, they'd probably tell me the same thing. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, and it's crazy, like, so if you're listening and you're thinking about starting a nonprofit, you know, like, you have to do your research on this stuff because, like, Fractured Atlas, you actually can't accept all donations in all contexts. They have some rules around the kind of money you can accept and can't. Whereas if you had your own 501c3, you can take anything that is legal under that co- tax code. And it's just right. enormously There's complicated. A, it's complicated. And there is a lot of oversight with um, fiscal sponsorship, but it is a great first step, I think, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they do take a percentage. So it's like seven percent, I think. Eight percent now. Jesus. Wowie wow wow. Can I can I just like go back to something a little bit? I'm I'm kind of obsessed yeah. with this like connection between uh fun home and can you kind of just like break down what fun home is and how Ring of Keys got started from Fun Home? Yes, thank you. I, I went back to like when Royer and I first met, but when we met and we became friends, we talked about how for us Fun Home as a musical, seeing it on Broadway for both of us was so revolutionary. And why is that? Mm. Because Fun Home um, was on Broadway in 2015, and it was the first musical in Broadway history to have a lesbian protagonist. And as two lesbian artists, we we both felt seen. It's so hard to explain what that feels like, except to just say it was like a mirror. And it was unbelievable to be able to actually be in in my church, which is the theater, to see Mm. myself was Mm. profound and, you know, gives me goosebumps still to this day. We kind of decided to riff off of that musical in in the creation of our organization and in the the naming of our organization. So Ring of Keys is a song within the musical Fun Home, and it's a song about identification. And keys are access and they open doors. And that's poetically what we're we're trying to do with Ring of Keys. It's just, it's such a beautiful, like, (laughs) not an entendre. It's like an homage. It's like, it's it's everything that you could possibly want. It's a wonderful Valentine to this show that has opened your eyes also. I think it's really, really, really special to have something like that, especially theater, to be able to do that for you. I hate that it was 2015 when that shit happened, but... You know, <laughs> it happened. And, and just we're still waiting f- for those mirrors to exist for non-binary artists to yeah, see yeah. A, a non-binary right. lead in a musical. And, um, you know, we just finally saw a trans protagonist in Head Over Heels on Broadway, right. which was 2018. Yep. Um, so, again, it's continuing to broaden the landscape of what what kind of stories we can tell in musical theater. I'm I'm excited. We have this whole new website revamp that I've been working on, and 
I don't mean to segue, but oh my God, I don't wish this on like my worst nightmare or my worst enemy um, um, because this whole website revamp has been going on for a year now. And it's like, oh, I have had like 75 panic attacks and cry fests over it, but um, it's going to be so amazing. And it's actually going to be Functionable. So ringofkeys.org, as it exists, is a very primitive Squarespace site. And thankful to Holly Dunn, who who made that originally. But we very quickly grew out of our website. Yeah. We grew exponentially. And so now you go to the directory, which is supposed to function as like our main vehicle, our main tool. And you just scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. There's no search features. So it was clear to me that we needed to get a developer on board and um, find someone to build a content management system mm-hmm. and finding that yeah. with as a volunteer organization for someone who was pro bono was really hard. And I searched and searched and searched. I finally found someone. She worked on it for like six months and then quit. And we got like nowhere in those six months anyway. So it was like, she, it was like, she didn't know what she was doing. She was sort of just like trying to try something. It was a nightmare. <laughs> and then finally um, we got an anonymous donation that pays now for us to have a legit developer who's currently working on the site alongside a designer. Wow. And we've been, um, yeah, so it's scheduled to launch this February. I'm not going to say a date because we've steamrolled past so many deadlines and I'm, I'm not going to like <laughs> promise, make any more promises, <laughs> yep. but it's, it's, you know, it's actually going to be the tool that I initially intended Ring of Keys to be, which is to be this sort of, you know, canary in the lapel saying that, okay, you can't ask someone their gender identity or their sexuality in a job interview slash audition. But if you know that they're a Ring of Keys member and you're actively trying to hire queer women, trans and gender nonconforming artists, you like you can search that directory. You can see the little ring of keys badge on their resume. It sort of is this um, facilitating bridge between queerness and musical theater. So almost like a, a census, if you will, like I I've taken, I've taken a census where I will give you my information. I will willingly say that I am out. I am this. Yeah, exactly. That's why, you know, we use the term self-identify within our slogan, within our mission. I mean, it's, it's that people opt in and part of the philosophy is changing the, the language or changing the attitudes towards queer people in our industry or how they've been for decades, which is to hide, stay in the closet. You don't want to ghettoize yourself into like this corner and to instead flip the switch and say like, actually the queerness, our queerness is, is a, is an asset that we bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's something to celebrate. Here's a like interesting, uh, maybe you know about this, I don't know, but like I have only recently discovered this in, in all of the things that we've been doing with Broadway Unlocked. Companies have CSR programs, which means corporate social responsibility. And those CSR programs generally have three prongs, one of which is volunteerism. And they have to do skills-based volunteering, you know, on behalf of the company. And then there are nonprofits such as one I was just hired to go do a storytelling training with whose entire nonprofit model is to match skills-based volunteers with nonprofits. And somehow the arts are not anywhere in this. And so now I'm marching on my road to Damascus, you know what I mean? Because I'm like, oh, fuck no. We're going to guarantee you're going to have more fun (laughs) when you come like help with a website or teach, you know, set up MailChimp for us or whatever. You're going to have way more fun hanging out with us. There's so many people like us who are primarily creators but are passionate about whatever we're activists around and are creating these side nonprofits like Andy's question 
And that means we don't have the background and these skills and we're trying to teach ourselves. And like these people literally could revolutionize, keep small theaters open in mm-hmm. other cities that are going under because they, they make great plays, but they can't. Yeah. Right, exactly. right. Exactly. And it just, I feel like no one should ever be in the situation you are in ever again. <laughs> and if I can do anything about that, I'm gonna. <laughs> well, I guess I just share because I hope that people don't, I don't know. I don't want to say make my mistakes because I guess I just learned from it, but I just, it's, I guess the lesson is to sort of find the funds first maybe, or Mm -hmm. I I was sort of grasping at straws and I couldn't know that it was going to go down the path it went, but yeah, when you have minimal resources, it's really hard. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, off from the stressful topic of trying to start a nonprofit when you're an actor or director, <laughs> on to more questions about Ring of Keys. We have so many good ones. Um, so let's let's go to another question from a listener. This is James from NYC. They ask, what sort of influences does Ring of Keys have on the content and the business aspects in the musical theater industry? And do you influence the production process of a new musical? Well, I certainly think we're trying. I think the advocacy component of Ring of Keys is, I think, what we're looking to to really sort of build and develop in this next year. I think we've spent a lot of our energy mm-hmm. on building the network and turning inward. And now it's about turning outward and figuring out how to get in rooms and be influential. You know, our, our tagline is about changing the musical theater landscape. And I think we do that by spreading awareness. I mean, it's almost like political activism in its in a way because you're you're building sort of a a one sheet if you will of information that you that that we're trying to have our members know about and use as a tool to help spread sort of the web of inf- information that's awesome and to me that's a lot like i i haven't worked on a political campaign but that's sort of like the political activism that it looks like from the outside yeah that makes sense. I think that our members that are writers that are writing content are more inspired to write these stories because they have a community. And I think that is what Ring of Keys is, is also giving folks in that there's a safe place to build that content and it's nurtured and there's more opportunities, I think, too. Do you see a lot of cross-pollination inside your network? Because I know it's it's actors, directors, playwrights, like all the things do you see a lot of them working with each other in the, particularly the new musical process? Yes. And that's been the hardest thing to gauge for me because that's something I'm, it's in, it's data that I'm trying to compile for grant purposes, but I will occasionally take polls on our members and ask things like, Mm -hmm. you know, who has gotten a job because of ring of keys, who has found an artistic collaborator because of ring of keys, who's found a new friend because of ring of keys. And the answers are really high. Like it's that last time I did it, it was like 40 people took the poll and 16 had, had said they'd gotten a job because of ring of keys. And that is because of the, either the connections they've made where, you know, they're connecting with a director and they're an actor or, um, a music director finds a director or a casting director that's a key, you know, all of those connections. And that to me is so exciting that a lot of people will say, oh yeah, I heard about a a job submission that was posted in in our private Ring of Keys page. And like they, somebody recently, they they submitted their play and now it's going to be part of this festival and it's like a femme, femme fest. And they found out about it because it was posted in the Ring of Keys page. And it was posted in the Ring of Keys page because that information was sent to Ring of Keys and I posted it in the Ring of Keys page. 
That's awesome because that was a great answer. We had a question, a write-in question on Instagram from Lauren who asked, how do you utilize this network of queer women when creating new works? So that like having that private page or that private resource that's exclusive for your members is um, such a good, I think, like best practice that other people that are listening can take. And um, Lauren also wanted to know, are there other networks that you engage with collaboratively? Um, that's another thing I'm working on in terms of partnerships, one of which is Maestra, which is Yay. a advocacy network for women, trans, and non-binary musicians, uh, composers, lyricists, music directors, orchestrators. Like, for instance, our music director of our upcoming benefit concert, Plug, <laughs> Ring of Keys, we have our benefit concert on February 16th at Joe's Pub, um, being music directed by Julianne Merrill. And she is a member of Ring of Keys. She's also a member of Maestra. Nice. She's also music directing the Maestra benefit that happens yes. two weeks prior. And she's like, it's my intersection. She's she's like, as a queer woman who's in, you know, a music director who's in who's in both. In, it just makes sense that like that I would be spending my February like this. Yes. I'm like, that's so cool. I love that. Yes. I should mention our concert is called Queering the Canon. And it's one half Golden Age era songs that are queered and one half... Songs nice. written by key artists, new commissioned songs by queer artists that are writing them in response to said golden age songs. So it's going to be a back-to-back conversation. Oh. So for instance, the song Maria, which is originally sung by Tony mm-hmm. in the musical West Side Story, that song will be sung by a queer woman. So queering the song in that what? capacity. And the, the response song is a song called Emma. It's written by a key member, Joanna Burns. It's her song that she wrote in response to the song Maria. Was that your creative? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Alongside my co-producer, though, I have to give props to Hannah Lang, who is producing alongside of me. And she, I sort of pitched the idea to her, and we, she helped me finesse it. And um, nice. the h- idea of it being back-to-back was, was kind of her idea. So <laughs> True collaboration. We have a fucking great question for you to follow up on this from one of our former guests again. They were just writing in in droves or yes. calling in in droves for Hey, I'm Janice. I'm from New York City. I'm a stripper, writer, and a therapist. And I just wrapped up on Take Me to Coffee podcast. And my question for you is what traditional musical theater, like canon piece, would you love to recreate and gender bend and just make like queer as fuck? <laughs> The one that I really want to queer is Music Man. Ooh. And I want yes. Harold Hill to be like a really butch lesbian. Yes. So change the pronouns, like change it from Harold to Helen or something like that. And then it's not so predatory. Mm. So why would Helen be – well, she's hustling because she's trying to make a living, uh-huh. right? But uh-huh. she's hiding because she's hiding her her sexuality. Ooh. And it's also less predatory when, when Helen would come – after Mary and the librarian in the library, it's not less like creepy. I think if it's <laughs> the whole fucking musical in its original format is so fucking rapey. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. And, and then the end and so she just like gives in and it's like, he's this fraud. I think it's less about then if it, it, it gives you the opportunity to see that character, Harold slash Helen, whatever in a, mm-hmm. in a different light and kind of feel a little more compassion. I think I mean, I mm-hmm. think currently people feel compassion for Harold Hill, but I'm always kind of like, meh. <laughs> I, I never do. I, I've seen The Music Man a handful of times, and I've recently witnessed it in Chicago. Um, I, I don't 
feel for Harold Hill at all. He's a shyster. He's a horrible person. Uh, I don't have any empathy for that character whatsoever. I don't care who plays it, Hugh Jackman. I don't give a shit. Like, it doesn't matter to me how great you are as an actor. I just don't, I don't align with the story. So I think the layering of what you're offering in a gender bend for Helen is so much more interesting and so much more I'm able to get on board with that kind of like, oh my God, you've been hiding for so long. Somebody actually sees you for what you are. Holy shit. Like that, that makes mm-hmm. me so much more empathetic. Mm. Scooting backwards a little bit. I'm, I mean, you're an actor, you're a director, clearly like all these amazing creatives that we're talking about. You have that director capacity. You're an activist. I know you did like, you were in the finance department of Lincoln Center. Have you always been a slash, a slash person or did you start out just doing one thing and find those other things? Um, I've always been a performer, an actress, singer, working in musical theater, but I've also always been an activist since like senior year of high school. Those things have always been siloed for me. Mm-hmm. And after the 2016 election, I really wanted to see those things merge. And I think I've always wanted to, but I felt like I had to be this this lesbian offstage and this ingenue on stage. Mm -hmm. In order for me to get hired and to work, I felt as though I couldn't be both things. Which is at the essence of the like terribleness of marginalization. Is it like literally that's telling you who you actually are is invalidated. Yeah. Because of what other people's demands on you. Right. The whole musical theater canon is just, it's just so full of the heteronormative misogynistic tropes that in order Mm -hmm. to tell those stories, I felt like I had to sort of fit into that box. I'm happy to see that there's an unearthing and and a reckoning to realize that like we need to get away from that. I feel like I've been saying that for so long and then I'm seeing more people kind of get on board. I mean, I had those principles, but it, it wasn't enough to make me like leave the industry altogether. And there are plenty of key members that speak about how they left musical theater altogether. There's a key member who got mm-hmm. into directing. She was getting her MF or her BFA in musical theater as a, as a performer. And she just couldn't handle these heteronormative tropes that and archetypes that she would have to play, even though she loved it, she grew up singing it. She just, she wasn't able to put her feelings about that in a, on a shelf. And I applaud that. That's incredible. I mean, I yeah, certainly yeah. didn't, I put those things on a shelf in order because I wanted to work. So she got away from it. She just got in, she got into directing instead. And she was saying that like things like Ring of Keys make her feel excited about the future of a musical theater because mm-hmm. She said, maybe there will be like queer roles that I can play. Yeah. Maybe there will be stories that I want to be a part of. Remember, I don't know if you do, but like this was because this was probably a year and a half ago, but we were doing like a Sunday news show through Broadway Unlocked, the breakdown, and we invited you on and you were out of town and you referred us to Maggie Keenan Bolger mm-hmm. um, through Ring of Keys actually to be on it. So it was me and Georgia Stitt, who is the founder of Maestra um, and Maggie and the host, Carl. And we got to talking about like not sexuality based uh, roles in musical theater, but instead like the type of woman you are. Um, And we were specifically, we got talking because of Georgia about how like, there's not a lot of roles in musical theater for women between your twenties and being a 60 year old grand dame. And Georgia was saying like, that's when women go have babies. Mm -hmm. And so you don't have women writers writing during that period previously and all of this stuff. And I thought that was really fascinating and it caused me to bring up, something that I had never even like thought of before, which is as a strong woman who never quite had her place in musical theater. Do you know how many times I've played a man 
in shows and I'm, I'm straight. I, you know what I mean? But like that conversation, I was like, right. Cause there's, I don't see me in musical theater, the strong that woman, like who's, energy, that strength, I guess can't so be found in a female character. Isn't that nuts? Yeah. And I just, I it was the first time I was like, well, I've literally played five men. I think like from the rock guy in dark of the moon <laughs> to playing Owen in translations and almost all straight. Plays. And it wasn't like almost a no musical theater, fun, gender bending, you know, queer. No, casting like literally, situation. For translations, the director was like, I don't like any of the men who auditioned. Would you please play this role? Wow. Like, truly. I, that made me sad because I was like, so many people, including everyone in Ring of Keys, people of color, j- women who are s- strong, s- exude lots of strength, whatever it is, not seeing yourself represented is, uh, I don't know. I just, I wish you could help people feel that haven't had that situation feel how um, stinky it is to not see yourself yeah. represented. And you, I mean, like as Janine Tesori said, when she accepted her Tony, you have to see it to be it. You don't know mm. it exists until it's out there. And you're like, oh, I can do that. I mean, Kate McKinnon, she just was giving Ellen mm. her award. I can't remember what kind of award it was at the Golden Globes, but. Oh, yes. It was a Golden Globe. Yeah. Or like a lifetime yeah, it was a golden achievement golden, or something. Like, yeah. Lifetime something. You know, she kind of said, said something of the, a similar nature about you know, Ellen being on TV and being out and gay, like helped her know that she could be that. And it's real. It's so true. I only had, I only knew Ellen and Rosie O'Donnell. There was no YouTube when I was trying to come out. It was just like, I was confused. I'm like, well, I don't want to cut my hair short like Ellen. So I guess I'm not gay. it's just funny to think about that gender presentation and i hate that that is the deciding factor yeah Yeah. like that's that's what the that's what decides whether i'm happy or not or comfortable in myself or not is like my hairstyle and that's how we understood sexuality in in 2002 there's a simple this reminds me of something andrew said earlier today because we were taping another podcast episode like there's this push in entertainment to simplify narratives as if we are all idiots who cannot comprehend or are not able to like get really excited about anything that shows complexity. And I was thinking about Andrew, how you said in the last episode we were taping that like growing up as a straight guy in, in Arkansas, even that you didn't have, mm-hmm. uh, examples of men that were like you that were like strong and super masculine and like to hunt, but also were like feeling empathy for, you know, and like feelings that were not right. And I was able to, to like, I had, I had emotions that I was like, I want to, I want to know what that is. Where do I go? And then of course you find yourself with like-minded yeah. people. And I went to the theater and I was like, fuck, you guys kind of understand, like you guys are having the same feelings, but you're talking about those feelings. You're actually putting voice to them and mm-hmm. finding that community or, seeing people who are like of that mind or speak the same way you do or think the same way or lied with your way of thinking is just, it's such an eye-opening experience. And I can't believe we're in fucking 2020 right now. And we're still having like these, and I say this, I give this analogy all the time. It's like a fucking curb that you have to step up on. It's literally six inches high. You just literally have to step up six inches to understand or be willing to understand, open your mind a little bit. It's that, that's the, that's how hard it is, that threshold, Mm -hmm. but we don't cross it for whatever reason. And it's just, it's so frustrating, but like amazing to see shows like this, they, the, the conversations that are being had now are like so far away from where we should be, but thank God they're being started. I just hate that it's taken this long. Well, and theater is the perfect place to present complexities yeah, and questions, right? Yeah. Like, But to also change minds. Yeah. 
changing minds, changing lives, changing that outlook. And like you said, in the entertainment industry, like through movies and TV, we see all these blah, 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 you know, stock character bullshit, blah, blah, blah. In the theater, like feel like it is so much so that you're, you're seeing someone physically seeing someone like you or that has the same mm-hmm. thoughts as you and how much that impact has on you yes. as opposed to through mm. the screen. Mm. You know, that tangibility of seeing that and actually being in the same room, breathing the same air as that person gives you a voice in a way that you're not able to get from just like the fucking idiot box. Yeah, that crackly ephemeral experience for sure. Correct, mm. correct. Just really crazy. And speaking of that, I think we have another question that kind of really like, for people like me, I think we have uh, another another good question here. So, hey, Andrea, this is Reza, and uh, I have a question for you. Um, as an advocate for queer women in, in theater, I wonder what not you, but what I can do, or anyone that has an interest in helping to uplift uh, this society of women, what can we do to make a difference? And here's a little context for this, Andrea. Reza, also a former guest. Reza uh, is a touring and uh, sit-down magician. He's young. He's got. He's like really upending the world of magic. He's super rad, and he owns his entire company. Like he doesn't have investors. He does the hiring decisions. He creates the creative around it. And so that was his question for you. Wow, that's such a great question. And I think if he, if Reza, you are in a position to, you have a a hiring position, I think that's a really great opportunity to want to broaden the sort of pool of people that, that are typically hired from. I think, I think often it's very easy to, mm-hmm. to hire who we know, or it, it, it's a lot of work to take that extra step to search beyond what we know, but I think something like ring of keys can help be a a directory or a tool of like what somebody is looking for. I mean, like I want to hire marginalized artists. I want to hire these people. I'm going to go to this resource and I'm going to use it as, as, as a tool to, to advocate for them and to, and to, I think it's that effort and that desire. And I think too, there's also the, the, um, another way of, of advocating and amplifying is wanting to see those stories, promoting those stories, attending those stories. Mm. I can feel myself going off on a little tangent here. And I just, I was working with a male artist and we, we'd been working together for, for about a year and a half. And he and I just, um, I'm no longer doing that project anymore. And he had asked for feedback and we talked a little bit about his, economic and male privilege. And I said, that definitely was something I learned a lot. I learned a lot about how I watched you ask for things that I, as a woman, have been socialized not to ask for. Mm-hmm. And I I, mm-hmm. I mostly am, am addressing that you have this, it exists, right? We know that exists, male privilege, it's a thing. It exists. And I just learned a lot for myself on like, wow, how I watched him inflate language that I, as a woman, typically minimize. And I know these are like awful generalizations and it's not across, it's not binary. It's not across the board, but it was interesting. And he just said, well, what do I do with this? What do I do with this information? Like, okay, I have male privilege, but what? And I just said, keep hiring, keep working to like advocate and amplify those people that um, with your, with, with the tools that you have and with the privilege that you have. And I think, I don't know if that's very good advice, but it was sort of what came out of my mouth in the moment of just 
I think the the awareness is like such a huge first step as it is, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 the desire to want to lift up those marginalized folks and understanding the structure in which we exist, right? And the structure in which we're we're socialized. I think I'm going down like a rabbit hole here and it's probably not interesting. <laughs> no, I love it. I absolutely love it. I no, I'm fascinated by this because like your your initial comment made me start thinking of like the responsibility of someone in a position of power with the privilege, with the uh with the uh, ability to change someone's life like that. Like I ask you this, what responsibility and what level of responsibility do I have in seeing a quality from an employee or someone that I would like to, like if I have a friend, say, who is uh, queer, binary, non-binary, whatever, like looking for work, but being like, they haven't seen anybody like them in that position, right? And you're like, hey, listen, I see these attributes in you that I'm looking to hire. Is it my responsibility to come to them and say, hey, listen, I think that you would be great at this job. Give it a shot. I, I know that, you know, and I'm not really making my point here. Correctly, <laughs> I know what you're saying. The way that I'm thinking of it. Like giving that extra oomph. I love, I, I don't know if I can answer that, but I do love that as one idea and one suggestion. I think that that's great. Uh, yeah. That was another yeah. thing too, that I learned about this relationship I had with this guy for the last two years is like how many decisions that I, I, I just have so much self doubt and I don't, and I sit in that self doubt, whereas I watched him sort of just go forth. And I said, do you have self doubt at all? And he was like, oh my God. Yeah. I'm like, you do? Oh, because I never see it. I never. He said, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, and I just think I think all of that is sort of part of it, too. And the ability to amplify and advocate people uh, of people that are marginalized, women, trans, gender nonconforming artists, as an example, it does sort of push the envelope, push us one step forward, because what's the alternative Right. Not- well, I mean, that's what I'm saying is like, I don't think that fear should rule your or the, the fact that you haven't seen anybody out there. And I'm trying to pull all these ideas together in my head a little bit. Sorry if I'm not being as concise as I should be. But to see Ellen in 2002 or whatever, and you're like, oh, my God, I could be a talk show host. I could. O- that opens the door for me. But if these people don't see it in themselves, is it something that I can go, hey, listen, I know that mm-hmm. you don't think that you're going to be good at this, but I think that you are going yeah. to be great at this because you have everything that I'm looking for in, I don't give a fuck about your sexuality. I, I don't, I honestly don't. Like if I'm hiring for somebody, I want the best candidate possible. I don't care. I want you to be able to see it in yourself. Do you know what I mean? Is there a, is there something or a way to kind of navigate that way for our listeners out there who are in a position of power or to be able to execute privilege or whatever it is. It's like, keep your mind open to the fact that maybe the obvious choice isn't the one who approaches you. Can I say something? Even though I know that question was for Andrea, but as an advocate and an ally, cue the patriotic music because I fucking, this drives me bonkers. (laughs) (laughs) like my sad cute little it. trumpet. I am okay. your sad little trumpet. You are. <laughs> oh, Andrew, my sad little trumpet. Um, for people who are listening who are in a creative field, particularly theater, if you are a director or a producer or a choreographer, I don't want to ever hear that any of our TM2C fam has gotten caught saying, I can't hire that person or cast that person because it doesn't, they're not this. This character wouldn't do this. In creativity, there are a thousand right answers. And every new exploration of an idea like you guys are talking about leads to new interpretations, ideas, 
creations around the thing that we're making. And to me, in my mind, there is no difference. I directed and choreographed a production of Nice Work, if you can get it. And typically a Gershwin musical, the lead guy is supposed to be Tommy Toonish and tall and leggy. But I can't see any reason why that is actually textually called for in the script. I saw this kid who was incredible and was kind of like Michael, uh, what's his name? Borghese? Burress. Michael Burress. Like he was really short, really muscular, like it's incredible, like powerhouse dancer. And I don't know, I cast him and he was fucking phenomenal. And it changed the context of some stuff in a really neat and interesting ways. There, there is no difference. There is no difference to me in what we're talking about, like how you as a person who has creative uh, agency can put folks that are queer non-binary gender conforming all that stuff in these roles it is unacceptable because creativity is magic and just nearly everything works well i think there's two another thought too about the idea of like the best person for the job i think that's also can be uh tricky because some what i've noticed and heard from members is the idea that sometimes folks aren't given opportunities right because for instance if you're a non-binary artist and you look at the musical theater canon and you look at what roles are like available for your, you know, type quote, air quote, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's not a lot of opportunities. So it is about um, maybe like, you know, co converging on both the things that both of you just said. It is the idea of, okay, well, take the creative risk, give the opportunity to somebody that maybe has less experience or than, than maybe the, the, the cis straight person. But is this this opportunity to have a new voice being telling these stories? I think that's a lot mm -hmm. of the opus of our members in Ring of Keys. And at the end of the day, for anyone who is cis or like, how did Jana say it? Uh, socially, like identifies as a, like the way they were socially raised in terms of their gender, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I find it useful to just do the work to find the ways in which we are similar because all of us, all three of us just on this podcast episode have been in situations in which we did not see ourselves represented mm -hmm. in totally different ways. Mm -hmm. And so I personally believe that like, as soon as you figure that out, that we are not so fucking divided from each other, it's a lot easier to get on board with advocating for the other folks mm -hmm. in whatever way you can in whatever spaces you have agency over. It is we're I, we're all in this together, oh, right? Like I go show yeah, up yeah. and volunteer for Andrea mm -hmm. because yes, as a, like I have experienced, of course, always, but similar things just as a like woman in these spaces, a straight woman, strong woman. Like it's we're just the same. We're just the fucking same. We just need to help each other out, yeah. and the world would be a little better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I I don't think ring I've I've never wanted ring of keys to come across as a sort of a bully or um, aggressive. I think our, our modus operandi is positive action in that we're building a community for people to find each other, find like-minded folks, and, and, to, and to help lift them up and give them the confidence and opportunities to work alongside their whatever straight cis folks. But it's not that there isn't bleed over or that, that folks are not working together, that it's antagonistic. And you don't come across, I mean, not, inter I've been no, following you guys for a while. Not. Listen, Andrea, this has been an unbelievable interview. I have so many other questions. I say that all the time because I am a, an inquisitive mind and I want to know everything, but we don't have all the time for that. I want to, I want to let our listeners know. You guys are fun. Like where, 
Thank you. Hey, thanks. Uh, where can where can everybody <laughs> find you? Can where can people find you specifically? And then Andrea, and then where can people find uh, ROK? I'm at andreaprestonario.com. My Instagram handle is at andreaprestonario. Uh, Ring of Keys is ringofkeys.org. Our new website will be launching mid February. Very exciting to check for everyone to Ooh. check that out. It's going to be really good. <laughs> yeah. We're going to try to put this out to help promote um, Queering the Canon. So tell everybody where that is happening. Yes. Queering the Canon, 7 p.m. Sunday, February 16th at Joe's Pub. We'll be featuring key voices, key songwriters, key music director, key producers. It's just an all-out keys fest. <laughs> keys fest. Uh, Joe's Pub is located at the Public Theater down on uh, Lafayette Street in downtown Manhattan. So. Yay. I'm excited. I feel like I we have a date. Don't we have a Yay! date? Don't we have a date? Let's Can go. we make a date? See you there. <laughs> Thanks for chatting with us. This has been amazing, Andrea. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm Thank glad you this for happened. Inviting me. Y'all are so great. And this is a really good podcast. And I recommend it to everyone I can. Coffee date with Andrew Prestonario, actress, founder, and executive director of Ring of Keys. It was a good one. Ringofkeys.org is such a special organization. I mean, like, Fun Home was in my life for so long. I mean, I knew the ins and outs of that casting process. I knew, like, the whole story, the, 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 the genesis, the etymology of that entire process. And, like, seeing, you know, Alison Bechtel um, as a queer woman on stage is just it, it was phenomenal to watch and to actually hear somebody like have that kind of experiential or creative and theater like it moves people right it moves you to do things it is a tangible thing that you breathe you see you witness something and you're like fuck i am moved to make something happen it it gives us these things right it gives us the motivation to do things it inspires a new thought or an idea and how do I help? What do I do? This is something that means something to me. And it's just, it's its so awesome to watch. And like Andrea was saying earlier in the conversation, how she learned a lot by, you know, observing her straight male counterpart in that project she ultimately left. Yeah. I would like to offer for anyone listening who wants to know what they can actually do to be allies and advocates, here are a couple of specific examples of ways that I work to support uh, all the folks, for instance, with Ring of Keys. Number one, if Ring of Keys needs a volunteer for something, I go do it, especially when like they're short on people. Um, I go do it. It means a lot to go volunteer for organizations that do this work. Number two, you can, if you have made something and you are a director or a producer, you can put your foot down and make stipulations. I am, but we're about to do something through Broadway Unlocked that involves inviting a small group of people around the table. And I said to our partners, we have two caveats. Number one, Broadway Unlocked's brand has to be associated with this. And number two, the table has to be diverse, period. Like absolutely has to be diverse. There will never be a table with all straight people, all white people, right? Blah, 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 blah. And it was accepted. People as, say- as it should be. Okay, I get it. We do it with the podcast. Emily and I comb through our guests, our potential guests, and make sure that you know people are seeing themselves and all of our guests. And we certainly have done it forever with the Give Back concert, thanks in no small part to the efforts of our creative director, our digital creative director, Jermaine Blackwell, who has helped 
uh, helped us all understand what it means to put folks on stage and on screen in the Give Back Concerts case that are of diverse backgrounds and narratives and stories and sexualities. It is meaningful, even if you're not exactly sure how it's meaningful. So those are just a few examples of the ways that I personally advocate for and help to be the change that I want to see. And um, I'd love to hear if anybody else listening uh, does any kind of this kind of work out there and what you're doing in your community, your creative endeavor the thing that you made to uh, be representative for folks who don't often see themselves. I also want to say as a straight white male who has privilege in everyday life, I want to speak to those people out there who are, who are that, that ilk. And I task you with this. I want you to open your mind up. I want you to like step above on the curb. I want you to open your mind up to, to the availability and the, the onus that you do have something special, that you do have this privilege and you do have a responsibility to mm-hmm. offer a way for other people to be included. And this was something I thought about when she was talking, when Andrew was talking about that male counterpart. I think that sometimes privilege, and particularly in terms of like straight white male privilege, is looked at as such a like shitty thing. But I think that story was representative of like my view on it, which is like I've got to learn somewhere. I'm not going to magically download how I'm allowed to act as a strong le- woman leader. I always, I think it's great. I think it's awesome that I can watch the way you can. Condu- I have done that our whole friendship. I watch how Andrew conducts his way through life, which is so different from mine. And I pick up things and like, oh, I could like, you know, embody this characteristic. And I have picked up, like I watch how men sit in meetings and I have taken up sitting the way men leaders, male leaders sit. It's really important to have male privilege in your life and for those folks to share it and maybe hopefully have conversations about it because where where else am I going to fucking learn that I don't necessarily the way I was conditioned or raised doesn't mean it's my only option for behavior. You know what I mean? The conversation needs to be had. Mm -hmm. That's right. Right? Understand that you, that, that I, I know Andrew Cole have it easier than a lot of people in this world have it only because I was born straight, white, and male. So just take that and just go, you know what? I, I do have a significant amount of privilege because of that and understand that like other people in this world don't have that and you can make a change. If you're listening and you want to apply to be a key, you can head over to ringofkeys.org and hit the uh, apply to be a key button up at the top. And if you just want to keep in the loop about what awesome things are going on with Ring of Keys down at the bottom of their website, you can just sign up for their newsletter. I personally get it. It's awesome. It's helpful. It's interesting. And it's also how I find volunteer opportunities to help that organization out. You can also follow Andrea on the socials because she's fucking awesome. She's at at Andrea Press Prestonario on Instagram. I'll put that in the links so you can see how that's spelled. And at a Prestonario on the tweeters. I don't know why we didn't get to talk to her about this, but every time that we say Prestonario, I have to say it in a an Italian accent. And then I also want it to be the end of like a magician's trick. Prestonario. <laughs> I don't know. It's just uh, it's fucking Ooh, awesome. It's an easy way for me to remember the name, and it's uh, everything really cool. <laughs> Boom. She takes some powder and she just goes, Prestonario. This is a test to see if Andrea actually listens to the whole podcast is if we get a video back from her on social media saying, hey, it's Andrea Prestonario. <laughs> why do I keep doing it? I don't know why I keep doing it. Uh, listen, head over to Twitter and follow us at TM2C Podcast to ask your questions for our upcoming guests. You can also let us know about someone smart and cool you know online that we should talk to. That's it for this episode of Take Me to Coffee. You know what's coming next. Now it's your turn. 
Onezo. Check out new episodes every Tuesday on your favorite podcast and skip it at pap 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 two. Prestonario. Prestonario. <laughs> for special <laughs> for special bonus content, including being able to see all of our beautiful faces. Join our coffee club over at Patreon www.patreon.com slash TM2C podcast. Patreonario. See what I did there? Your contribution helps us continue to make this podcast for you, with you, and completely ad-free. No one tells us what to do except for my producer. Thank you, Emily. We love you. Three, download these episodes and leave us a review so that we can continue to climb those podcast charts. One rung at a time. We will defeat you. I'm Andrew. I'm Jess. We'll see you next week. (laughs) We'll see you next week. Two walk like two out the door Then you have magic